Thank you for listening to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. If you'd like more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithworship.org. All right. Wow. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I was, uh, thank you, Faith Worship and uh, Daryl, Lynn, uh, Mom and Dad, for giving me the opportunity to share with you guys today. Um, really excited. Also a little nervous. I'm not sure why. I mean, I, I do this every week at Youth Group. Thank you for the extra claps. And uh, any, any extra like encouragement through the message, if you just... If you agree with me or not, or even understand what I'm saying, just give a, a random amen out in the middle of the crowd. That would really support me. I would feel really good about that. So thank you. Thank you. I hear that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, I also want to say um, thank you to my Evan Jones Master Electrician family. A bunch of them showed up today. Uh, yep. My coworkers. Uh, they uh, support me at work and apparently on weekends too, so that's really good. It's really nice to have a supportive uh, company. And uh, yeah, yeah, preachy's a hobby for me. Wiring is not, so hire us if you need wiring. Um, thank you to my wife, Kayla, over there. Uh, she's been supporting me for many years. Yes, and if you don't know, we're the, we oversee the youth here. We've been doing it. This is our fourth year as the youth pastors here. And uh, we also have our fourth kid on the way. So taking on an extra thing like this where I have to take a little extra time to prep and make sure that my brain makes sense to everybody listening, it takes a little bit more effort on her part to watch the kids and create that space. So thank you, honey, for making that happen. So, yes, wouldn't be here without it. So, um, if, if I had a title for this message, it would be, you have everything you need. I, I, really, I don't really follow a format, so I'm just going to be right up front with you guys. I went to Bible school, and they told me how to, how to do a three or five point sermon, how to get it all nice and formalized, and how to say it the right ways, and what, what tags to put on, you know, when, when to say the verse and when not to, and I did speech class and preaching class, and and I, I, I passed, just so you know. But in case you were wondering if that's where I was going. But um, I, I've, I have found over the years of doing ministry that that actually creates stress in my environment. Because I'm, I'm a simple guy. My wife and I call me simple country. Okay, if, if like, country, you know how there's different countries? You know, maybe there's fun country or energetic country, or control country, or perfect country, I would be simple country, okay? I just, give me, give me the, the bare minimum, give me the core of what's going on, the details, too much, stress me out, right? So I need the, I need the big picture, give me what I need to know, and the rest will fall, take care of itself, right? So I'm going to be myself today, there's not really going to be a huge format. Um, I, have, I have a theme which I shared with you, and some thoughts. So uh, stuff that I've been learning as I've been growing through my years of, of life. I, I, might, I know I, I look young, but I have been on earth for a little bit. So I have some experience, and I'd like to share some of that with you. And I hope it is beneficial and encouraging to you, okay? So, uh, oh, baby. Okay, sorry, distracted. Um, I, I'm passionate about the finished work of the cross, okay? And if, if, if you haven't been hinting, if I haven't been hinting at my simple country and my theme and everything is, I, I boil it all right back down to Jesus and the cross. Like anything I read in the Bible, anything I'm experiencing, it goes right back to his, his sacrifice, his finished work. That's how it all works, right? And then the, the next thing that's kind of layered with that that I'm passionate about is identity, Right? If people just knew what God believed about them, just, just that, the bare minimum, right? If we just knew how God actually felt about us, we'd be unstoppable, okay? Even, like, even the people who are pre-Christians, okay? They're not, they're not, un, they're not you know, non-Christians. They're just pre-Christians, okay? Because the finished work of the cross... God, Jesus came for the sins of the world, right? 
that's the finished work. His, his sacrifice wasn't just for the people who said, okay, Jesus, right? He, he took care of it all and for everybody and everything in one moment. And, and we have like very little participation in the salvation that he brought with the finished work of the cross. And so um, that's what I'm passionate about is the identity found in that finished work, okay? So a lot of what I'm going to say, my thoughts are just surrounding that. So if you're losing me, just think Jesus, and you'll be right back with me, because I, I don't stray too far any other direction, all right? Um, let me look at my notes here. Get me going. So there's not a single thing that Jesus and God, I, I feel like I'm spraying at you. Hold on. There we go. That feels better. It's my first time wearing this, if you didn't know. All right? So, again, there's the claps and the amens, feeling the support. I appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be a good day. So, um, when Jesus and God, before the foundations of the world, right, Jesus is out, God and Jesus are outside of time. They're up there, and God's thinking about creating us, and he's looking at the world, and he's seeing the fall. He's seeing the build-up to Jesus, and he's thinking... And then after that, right? Because you're after the cross, right? But he's, he's looking at every aspect and every detail of your life, and there's not a single thing he didn't already consider paying for and including in the cross in your life that you're going to face or you are facing. Your circumstances right now, he's already thought of and taken care of. Like, that's how much he loves you. It wasn't just, okay, let's make sure their sins are forgiven. And then, you know... If they pray hard enough, I'll listen to their circumstances, and then I'll help them out, right? Uh, that's, those are kind of the believers that I grew up with, okay? Like, the cross was Jesus' sacrifice. Thank you so much for loving us. You saved us from our sin nature. And that, you know, we gave glory to that. And it, it almost, like, it stopped there. Like, the, it's almost like that was the only thing the cross accomplished in their, in their minds. And so the rest of their lives, they spend uh, striving for, for things. They, they're praying hard, Lord, financial breakthrough, financial breakthrough, house, 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 or my, my prodigal son, my son, my son, my son, save him. And you get, you get all this striving in this relationship with God where because you believe the cross is only for the forgiveness of your sins, you end up striving for everything else that he's already given to you through grace. And so I grew up with Christians where that's their mindset. And that's not true. Jesus considered it all before he died and he paid for it all of his promises are yes and amen those are those are your two factors in all of the promises about his provision for you his plan for your life all of it is yes and amen it's that simple see again i get excited about simple because that's where i live okay i you start telling me about you know if you pray this way or that way or or, I mean, I love intercession, but that word starts to scare me because it sounds like I need to start figuring out what I'm praying for. I know it's just downloads from God and I'm getting renewed on that. I'm just, but like, I, I, I like to pull back and be like, yes and amen. The promise is he's paid for everything. Perfect. He's taking care of that country because it was included on the cross. Amen. All right, I'm done. That's my intercession because it's that simple for me. I can't get too detailed or I start to get stressed out. Um, he has... So much more in store for you than just forgiveness. Okay? Uh, the sovereignty of God, right? That's another thing that when the, for, the, when the cross is just forgiveness, sometimes the Christians look at the... Uh, sorry, not anybody here, not any Christians that I know currently, right? These are just people I grew up with and the thoughts that I absorbed through my life as a... I, I mean, I grew up in church, so from here on out, I was dedicated, just like my kids are, all the way through church and Sunday school, and, and God bless them. I love those Christians, and, I, and I, I hope they aren't living where they were, where they were teaching me. I hope they've gained revelation like I have over the years. I don't, I don't look at people where they were. I take what, what gold was there, what they were teaching me. So when I'm, when I'm talking about believers or Christians, I'm not, I don't have this negative perspective on people who aren't a part of this church. I just am talking about my experience, right? So the sovereignty of God sometimes was portrayed with this Bible verse. And I love this Bible verse, so nothing against the Bible. But it says, um, oh, no, it's slipping. 
Give me a moment. It'll come back to me. Uh, God, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. Something like that. Paraphrase, right? So you look at your circumstances and then you go, well, you know, maybe God gave me cancer to teach me a lesson about how humble I should be because his ways are higher than my ways. And that's what was preached with that verse. But that's not, that's not what God's sovereignty is. His sovereignty is uh, not my ways are higher, so deal with your crummy life. It's <laughs> sovereign is the way that he saw what we, you were going to be going through and made sure to come up with the solution and make sure it was all said and done, paid for, funded, supported, implemented, downloaded, and ready to go for you to say yes and amen to because Jesus paid it all. Okay? Oh, I'm loving this. I hope I could speak every week. This is awesome. I love, love the feedback here. Um, <laughs> so, like, when I started to catch that revelation that God's sovereignty and his will for my life was goodness and that it wasn't just this overlaying, like, just deal with your circumstances and pray harder and maybe, maybe he'll help you out. It's no. Back before you even existed, he saw your life and made sure that your circumstances had a promise matched to it and all you had to do was say yes to him and have faith in his faith and to partner with him to get your circumstances changed to match his kingdom, right? Because the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, right? God came, Jesus came, he quotes, I came to give you life and life more abundantly, right? Again, you're going to hear a lot of these simple verses thrown in here because that's, that's where I live, right? So if, if your circumstances don't look like life giving or abundance, it's probably not God's sovereignty for you, okay? You guys are tracking with me. This is awesome. I'm loving it. So let's, let's look at the cross again, right? So we were talking about how God so loved the world, right? So everyone's included. You are also a new creation, right? So your old self was given a death certificate. We read about this in Romans 8, right? I like to call, uh, because I'm a young guy, I call Christians the real-life zombies, okay? Because we are dead, we died, and now you're this whole new thing. Not necess- I mean, I don't like the whole, like, eating each other thing, but <laughs> z- zombies in the sense that, like, you are nothing like you were before you became a Christian, okay? You are a totally new thing. You might look a little bit like you used to, but you are not the same person, okay? You are new, new creation. And you are supernaturally included in Christ's death on the cross. He chose you before you chose him. The Bible says uh, we love because he first loved us, right? So getting to that like almost 0% required on our parts, right? Jesus loved you before you even existed, right? Back to the foundations of the world when he's making a plan for your life. You chose, sometimes we get this idea, maybe it's not we, maybe it was just me. So I had this idea in my head that, that it was my prayer to Jesus where uh, the ABCs of, of Christianity, that's what I grew up with, VBS. So you got admit to God I'm a sinner. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sinner. I'm such a sinner, God. And then B, you know, uh, believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Awesome. Okay, so first I have to admit I'm a sinner, and then I got to believe, and then confess my faith in Jesus. Okay, I got it. And, you know, I love it. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that version. I just think it puts a lot on our part to decide, because the first part is admitting that I'm a sinner, and that's not what Jesus talks about in the Bible. Uh, is it an Acts? Oh, it can't. It's not on my notes. Okay, it's in Acts. Uh, I believe it's in 16. Somebody comes to the disciples and he says, uh, what must I do to be saved? Right? And the response is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Done. Okay? Skip the A, skip the C. Just the B and the ABCs of Christianity. Like, you have almost zero part in receiving your salvation because he did it for you. It's finished on the cross and he believed for you he planned it out for you. He loved you first. You are just coming to the realization of his love. 
and saying, okay, I receive it, instead of continuing to resist his love, right? Because that's, that's the picture of the gospel. He's, God is running after us. We sing, we sing this song, uh, he's running after, he's running after me. My life laid down, I surrender now, I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. That's, that's the truth, right? His goodness saw your life, loved you first, and ran after you. And all you're doing is turning around and catching the hug that's been chasing you down the entire time. That's the gospel. That's the love of God, right? So that's, that's salvation for the world. He's running after everybody who hasn't turned around yet. And everybody who has turned around is walking arm in arm with him in the calling for their life, right? And as the circumstances come, he's right there. Ready, ready with the answer and the solution. So, everyone is included, and everything is included. Sometimes we stop at everybody included in salvation, and we forget the finished, again, right? The, we stop at forgiveness, and we don't include all the other aspects of God's sovereignty on the cross to have paid for all the circumstances we're going through and having solutions for us right there. So your circumstances were also included on the cross. Let's read, let's read some Bible here, all right? We're, we're, just, we're just getting there. James, I'm going to be in James 1. This is what started, started this gallivant in my head at, when I got asked to preach here. Uh, I was like, all right, what are we going to do, God? And I was reading in James, and, and this is, James has been a big part of my life uh, growing up. And so it's kind of fun that he, he brought me back there for today. But James is a lot about identity. And, yeah, let's just read it. Let's just read it. Because then I'll, I'm going to give it all away if I don't. So, um, we're just, I'm just going to read a couple verses. I'm going to stop and point out some things. And I'm going to rant on about some stuff. And we're all going to have fun together. All right? So, uh, James, I, I love scripture. So, we're, we're not really going to skip a whole lot. We'll, just, we'll, we'll skip the first one. The first verse, because it's just James saying hello to all the Christians. So, hello, everybody. All right, verse 2. Temptations come in different shapes and sizes and intervals. Their their intention is always to suck you into their energy field. However, my brothers, your joy in who you know you are leads you out triumphantly every time. I'm I'm reading from the Mirror Bible. If, If all... If nobody knows what I'm... Yes, a couple of people know what this is. Um, if you're trying to follow along and it makes no sense to you, that's why. I'm reading from a different translation. Um, for those of you who know what this is, he just released Revelation. So if you want to download that and read that, I'm sure it's really good. Um, so, uh, your joy in who you know you are keeps us triumphant over the old self. Right, because that's what he—that's what he says about temptations and trials. They come in different shapes and sizes and intervals. And their whole point, the enemy's whole point with all this stuff, is to suck you into their energy field. I love that terminology. Like his whole his whole point is just to get you distracted enough that you get you absorb yourself into that mindset and you get right back into the old self. And that's that's his whole plan. His whole drive is to just convince you that you're not a new creation. Okay. Simple country, right? You are a new creation, and your old self is what he keeps trying to draw you back to because it's what you're familiar with. You have old mindsets that have ruts in them where it's really easy to to get right back into that old mindset, that old self. Oh, that must be me. No, it's not you anymore. Remember, you're a zombie. You You don't have that mind anymore, okay? You're not even close to thinking that way anymore. It's not even not even a question. But that's his whole that's his whole plan is just to get you to that familiar spot and suck you right back into that energy field, that old self, that old mindset. And so uh, I love that it says your joy in who you know you are, right? Because you know you're a new creation. You know that you were included on the cross. You know that the sin is dead, right? Your joy in who you know you are. Even if you don't feel like that new person yet, you know you're a new person, right? So that's what he's getting at. It's not 
who you think you are. It's who he says you are. That's where your joy is. And that's how you get through the circumstances that you're in, right? Um, who he says you are, you are made new, right? Let's, let's read the next verse. This is all good stuff. Verse 3. Here is the secret. You guys want the secret? Yeah, yeah. This is, here you go, right? This is how, how do you live life? Let's boil it down. Let's keep it simple. Here's your secret, right? Joy is not something you have to fake. It's the fruit of what your faith knows to be true about you. You know that the proof of your faith results in persuasion that remains consistent in contradiction. What your faith knows to be true about you, that's where your joy comes from. And when we talk about, you know, there's, there's the verse that says the joy of the Lord is your strength, right? And true joy comes from a properly placed identity in Christ and how complete you are in his finished work. Joy, uh, I, love, I love Steve Backlund's quote here. I, I listen to his podcast. He's been here a couple of times. He's, he's really awesome. He always tags his ministry with this one. He says, uh, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You don't need joy at the end of the battle. You need joy in the middle of the battle and at the beginning of the battle because it's your strength, right? If you really are grasping what that Bible verse is teaching you, it's that your joy is the consistent piece of your character that's going to carry you through every temptation, trial, and tribulation, whatever that energy field is, whatever that old self, uh, whatever the enemy's trying to do to you, What's going to lead you out every time is your joy in who God says you are. That's how you get through this life and believing in the finished work of the cross. That's your identity. It's believing if Christians, back to that thought right there, my passion, if we just knew what God believed about us, we'd be unstoppable, right? If you just start to grasp his idea about you, the uniqueness he put in you, the way he designed you, the way that he's called you into things, the way that you have an answer for things in the world, if you could just listen to the identity that he's saying to you over and over and over again, no wonder your joy is found in him. He knows who you are. He knows what he put in your heart. He knows what he designed you for. He knows how to call it out of you. He knows who to connect you with in order to get that piece, that missing piece. He knows how to connect this community in a way that it's calling the gold out of each other and that we're getting our joy in him through our identity in the completeness of the cross in our new creation, right? I love it. Oh, no, I love this stuff. So, uh, it says, it says, you know that the proof of your faith results in the persuasion that remains consistent in contradiction, right? Uh, Some versions... If you're not reading the Mirror Bible, are going to say, the testing of your faith produces patience, right? It's not the testing of your faith in Jesus. We only have faith because he gave it to us. Right back to what Paul is saying in the Bible, it says, Paul says, our faith is a gift from God. He's not up there testing us to make sure that we got the package he delivered at our front step. Right? If God gave us our faith, he's, he's only, it, it's going to be 100% test scores every time because he gave it to you. Right? This is not, it's not a test that you might fail. Okay? He tests you only when you win. Okay? This is not, this is not, I hope you believe in me. This is, here, you have faith because of the finished work, work of the cross. And then the, Trial comes, and boom, you pass every time because it's his faith, not yours, that gets you through, right? It's the testing of believing what he believes about us. We have everything we need inside of us. So partner your faith with his faith. And that's, your, that's where your joy comes from and who you know you are. So let's read. I know, we're only two verses in. It's a good day. All right, uh, verse 4. 
It says, uh, like a mother hen patiently broods over her eggs, steadfastness provides you with a consistent environment. And so patience prevails and proves your perfection. How entirely whole you are and without shortfall. We were just saying how you can't fail because of God's, it's God's faith that you're getting tested on. That's what proves your perfection without shortfall. You don't have shortfalls. That's the old self whispering to you. That's, that's what he's saying here. I used to read that and be like, oh, yeah, thanks, James. I got shortfalls, and I've, I've gone back into them many times. But that was a false mindset I had, right? We need to renew our minds into the new creation, not believing that that old self, although it's rutted in our brains, that isn't our brain anymore. It's not what God thinks about us, and it's not how we operate anymore. When those thoughts come, it's like, no, that guy's dead. <laughs> that guy died a long time ago, buddy. You are whispering secrets and temptations that those have no effect on me anymore. I'm a new creation. You know what Jesus says about me? He says, that ain't me. That's, that's, how, that's the steadfastness in that faith. The patience, your patience prevails and proves you're perfect. That's what that verse says. I, I also pulled in the English Standard Version just because the Mirror Bible's much different. And I told you, James has been with me a long time. When I finally started reading the Bible, I've, I grew up as a Christian, it took me until like eighth grade before I even touched the thing because it was just like, you know, it felt forced on me. And, and I, I... I love... I love the Bible, and I love God, and I love telling people about it. I love pe- telling people about why I'm so happy all the time, and I love smiling, and I love telling them about God. But there, there is one step further where you start to put up people's defenses because anytime you're in the room, you're saying something, and it gives God the wrong... It gives them the wrong picture or idea about Christianity and about what God is because God's... God is running after them, but he doesn't grab them. Like, he's right there. He doesn't grab them and flip them around, right? You've got to be running after them with God without grabbing them by the arm and making them listen every time, right? There's a balance to being, a, being the light in the world without making them stare at it like a, like a bug light. Like, be a bug light. Make the bug turn around and fly towards you, okay? That's, that's, what, that's what you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to throw the bug light at the bug, right? It doesn't work that way. I don't even remember how I got there, but we'll, uh, we'll go back. Oh, the Bible. I grew up, right? So I finally read the Bible. <laughs> I finally started reading the Bible in like eighth grade. And you know what I started with? James. So the reason I'm pulling in different translations is because I have a fondness for many different versions of what people have interpreted this particular book to say. So English Standard Version, verse 4, so we just read it, but it says, and let steadfastness, a flavor of faith, have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You know what nothing means? Nothing. Isn't that so simple? I love it. You have everything you need. You are lacking zero. I remember this, this is what was hitting me when I was, um, when I was starting to get prepared for this, is lack is not his plan for your life. That's the enemy. If you believe what he believes about you and your circumstances, you will lack nothing. If you believe that he's right there with a financial breakthrough and you let your steadfastness partner with his faith, It'll be there. You'll lack nothing. If you don't believe that, his, that the small house you're living in is his plan for your life and you feel like you're living in lack because you need some extra space and this place isn't big enough for what I want to do with the passions that God's put inside of me, don't let lack convince you that that house is his plan for you. He wants abundant life. For you. 
Don't let your small bank account be God's plan. Lack is not his plan. If lack is whispering to you and trying to convince you that your circumstances are something of his plan, it's not. If, if the sickness in your life or the, or the, or the prodigal son or the, or the elderly uh, relative who's, who's sick and dying, if that feels like the enemy might be stealing something, it's because he is trying to steal something. He's trying to get you distracted. He's trying to get you to believe that, that lack or, or that, yeah, just it's not abundant life. And if it's not abundant life, it's not God's heart for you. And it's not his heart for anybody else either because he died for the sins of the world. So if somebody else's life looks like lack next to you, it ain't his plan for their life. You hear somebody talking like, well, you know, karma. No, karma ain't God. That's the enemy. Get abundant life stuck in your head as God's idea for you and your neighbor. And you will start transforming the world. Easy as that. You start believing what he believes about you and about the people next to you. It will start to transform your circumstances and everybody who sees the bug light. Okay? All right. Let's read verse 5. This is great stuff. The only thing you could possibly lack is wisdom. Oh, hang on a second. You just said I'm lacking nothing. What are you saying, James? Making me sound like I'm contradicting myself here. One might sometimes feel challenged beyond the point of sanity. However, make your request in such a way that you draw directly from the source, not filtered through others' opinions or your own. God is the origin and author of wisdom. He intertwines your thoughts with good judgment. His gifts are available to all without regret. Whoa, okay. So now I understand what you're saying, James. You're saying that sometimes I feel like I'm losing my sanity. And then I feel like, where's the answer, God? I'm starting to feel like I'm lacking the answer. And he says, get yourself where you're not filtering it through others' opinions. Right? We get a great example of this in the book of Job. Plenty of chapters of people talking to Job and giving him their opinions of his circumstances. And he says, absolutely not. That is not God. Right? That's what James is talking about. You get yourself filtering out everybody else's opinions and get right down to the source. Right? He says, God is the origin and author of wisdom. Right? Draw directly from the source. Get if you don't feel like you're connected with God or if that's part of what's going on, it's just saying, get connected. Get right to the origin of who wisdom comes from. And he intertwines his thoughts with your thoughts. Isn't that crazy? When I started to catch the fact that the mind of Christ was my mind, whoa, God, you shouldn't be in there. Have you thought, have you heard my thoughts? I know it says you've heard my thoughts, but you really, this ain't your brain, but that's the enemy. He's trying to get you to believe that you are somehow separate from him. It's not true. He lives inside of you, right? He's intertwining his thoughts with your thoughts. And your brain, the renewing of your mind, is slowly morphing to the point where you look like the perfection he's put inside of you, Right? The finished work is there. The new creation is there. And what is Paul always talking about in Romans? Everyone's talking about the renewing of the mind, right? The mind is the one thing that, is, that needs renewing, right? The heart's already connected. The salvation's there. Holy Spirit's living inside of me. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Then what the heck is wrong with me? Nothing's wrong with you. It's the enemy whispering the old thoughts in your head the way you used to think about yourself, the way you used to think about your circumstances, the way you used to think about your house, the way you used to think about your wife, the way you used to think about your family, the way you used to think about whatever, right? It's all there because they're familiar thoughts. And he, he, get, I mean, he gets me sometimes, but I'm getting there. And this is, where, this is where this is really encouraging to me, right? If you believe 
that your mind is brand new, it's much easier to resist the thoughts from the old mind. If you can get yourself to actually believe that when it says you have the mind of Christ, you actually believe it, anything that doesn't look like the mind of Christ is really easy to avoid. And that's how you renew your mind. You actually believe that you have a new mind. And then you can resist it. Uh, There's a couple other Bible verses that talk about the mind part. So um, how do I get to a place where I start believing what he believes, right? Let's go to Colossians 3. That's a good one. We'll read uh, 1 through 4. See yourselves co-raised with Christ. Now ponder with persuasion the consequence of your co-inclusion in him. Relocate yourselves mentally. Engage your thoughts with throne room realities where you are co-seated with Christ in the executive authority of God's right hand. Becoming affectionately acquainted with throne room thoughts will keep you from being distracted again by the earthly realm. Your union with his death broke the association with the world. See yourselves located in a fortress where your life is hidden in Christ, in God. The exact life on exhibit in Christ is now represented in us. We are being co-revealed in the same bliss. We are joined in oneness with him. Just as his life reveals you, your life reveals him. Wait, hold on. Did he just say, just as his life revealed you? He was the example of what you are. I used to see Jesus as like this thing to strive for. Right? I was taught that because the cross was forgiveness of sins and now try and look like Jesus as long as possible. Oh, you strip. Get back up. Keep looking like Jesus if you can. Yep, but you'll always fail because you're a sinner. You're saved by grace, but you sin. And then you'll, you'll get back up and you keep going with Jesus. Right? No. You, his life revealed you and your life reveals him. It says, relocate yourself mentally. I love that. That's how you start renewing your mind. You stop living in your circumstances. You start living with his perspective. And that's how you get disconnected enough that you go right from the origin that James is talking about, right? That's how you draw directly from the source. You relocate yourself, get yourself right out of your circumstances and be like, God, how are you seeing this? Where's your plan in all this? How come it's not working out the way I think it should on this? Oh, okay. There you are. There's your promise. I missed it because I was so stuck in, in all these other opinions in my old thought pattern. I wasn't even seeing you right there. There you are. You're standing right next to me, right? Let's see Colossians 3.12. I wrote that down. Let me see what's in there. You are the product of God's love. He restored you to his original thought. You belong to him exclusively. It's like changing garments. Now that you have gotten rid of the old, clothe yourself with inner compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He's restored you to his original thought. Back in the garden, before sin, right? The cross wasn't just forgiveness of sins and continuing. It was almost like bringing us back, rewinding everything right back to the garden. So if you have a question as to what abundant life is supposed to look like, it's back to his original thought. You were created for oneness with him, for friendship. Humanity was there to be his best friend. Right? If God is all-powerful, he doesn't need anything, he's got all the angels serving him, he's like, I already got servants. He doesn't need more servants. That's not why he made man. You're not a servant. You're no longer slaves. I call you friends. Why? That was his plan. To have a bunch of friends. You ever been to a party? Did you have fun? That's God's plan. Party, friends. Do you feel excited now? Does Christianity sound fun? Heaven's a big party. And heaven's on earth. 
Okay? That's his original plan for you. Back in the garden, his original thought. Let's walk in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. Oh, look, a blueberry tree. Yum. Mm. I don't even have to think about food. It's everywhere. At a party. Big spread. Right? I prepare a table before you. Here's your garden. Oh, look, a waterfall. Let's go swimming. Oh, and a, and a, a, a hot spring because I like hot tubs, so they have to, there had to be one there. Right? Right? If it gets you excited, it gets him excited because you were created in his image. That's why I know, God, I know there's, there's hot springs and hot tubs. That's why I know. Because there is so much glory in that hot water. Just saying. So, <sighs> distractions. Okay. Um, let's go to Philippians 2. 2-2. Two, two. Philippians 2-2. Two, 2-2? Two. Two, two? Two, two, five. Uh, your Christ-mindedness completes my delight. You co-echo the same agape. We are soulmates, resonating the same thoughts. No hidden agenda with a compromised mixture of leaven or empty philosophical flattery can match a mind that genuinely values others above oneself. To discover your own completeness in Christ frees you to turn your attention away from yourself to others. Verse 5, here it is. The way Jesus saw himself is the only valid way to see yourself. Your mind resonates the same thoughts. This is verse 2. Your mind is the same. Back in the garden, your mind wasn't evil. You didn't have evil thoughts. The cross brought you right back there. That's why we say, and the Bible can say, without having fear of wrongness, that you have the mind of Christ. Your original mind back in the garden had nothing wrong with it. And that's what it's restored to. And that's how it's how his thoughts are intertwined with yours and the way that's why it resonates the same thoughts as his your redeemed mind literally thinks the same way his does if you have any question as far as like what that might look like wait which thoughts are good and which thoughts are bad which ones are the old self just check out the fruits of the spirit Easy parameter. Simple country, right? Told you that. I'll bring it right back to simplicity. Fruits of what spirit? Holy Spirit. Love. If your thought looks like love, you're good. Joy. Joy is the next one. Whew. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, selflessness, self-control. Goodness is in there. If it looks like Jesus, you're good. And if you, if you have trouble figuring that out, fruits of, our, of the Spirit are a great spot to start. And those aren't duty, that's not dutiful, like, now I've got to make kind choices. That's, no, they, these are, when the, you have a thought that matches the fruit of the Spirit, that's the right thought. That's the renewed mind. That's the mind of Christ in you. Right? That's not the enemy in the old self trying to get back in and steal your identity back. Right? Because there's a battle for our identity going on here. First uh, John four eight, love this verse says, "He who knoweth not love, knoweth not God, for God is love." Thank you, John. Simple country, right there. Boom. If you don't, if it ain't, if it don't feel like love, don't look like love. It ain't love, and it ain't God. That's the enemy. Okay, love it. Uh, then uh, just, just throwing this one in here for fun, Matthew 6, 25. Jesus is talking about the, the sparrow and the flower, and right in there he's saying, don't worry about your life. God's got it all taken care of. He's saying, God knows what you need for clothes, food, what, what you, are, you are much more valuable to him than flowers or birds, and he takes care of them, Right? Right back to the garden. Abundance was his plan for you. Right? Same thought, same thought about the small house or the, or the finances or the struggle or the, or the small job. I love, love what we read every once in a while before offering. It's like we believing for abundance in our finances. That's why we tithe. And so it's a reminder that 
what we have is all given to us and it's all good and we don't need to hold on to it because he's taking care of us and his idea for us is abundance and promotions and we got nothing to worry about. It's all coming in. We can keep giving it out right back to him, right back to our neighbors, whatever. doesn't matter because it's all going to keep coming in. He's going to take care of us. You got nothing to worry about. That's what Jesus is talking about, right? Get your mind renewed and get your hands loose. Hold what he gives you and let it, let it fly as well wherever he wherever you feel led for it, right? It doesn't have to go to, you know, so-and-so missions. They can go to your neighbor's pocket for, you know, raking your yard for you. Or, what, or even if he didn't, you can rake his yard and give him money. I don't care. <laughs> Whatever you're feeling led to, right? It's, that's, that's, that's God's abundance, his idea for you. Uh, even, and then, like, we've been talking about health in Isaiah 58.5. This is a great one. We always talk about this one. Uh, by, your, by his stripes, we are healed, right? It was done on the cross. Your health, boom, all paid for, taken care of. Your health and wellness, it's yours. It's taken care of. Sickness is not his plan. That's lack. Lack of health is lack. That's not abundant life. Then, um, yeah, of course, right back to Jesus on the cross, it is finished. You got a question if it's paid for or was thought of? Yep. It's done. Check was signed. All you got to do is take it to the bank. His faith was there. The, the check was signed. He, you know, memo, it is finished. It's in your hand. And you don't got to sit there and strive and pray for it. You just got to take it back to the bank. No, devil, look at that. It's all signed for. Just waiting for it. Clear. Just waiting for the check to clear. Here it comes. Big house. Cancer gone. Just waiting for it. It's all gone. I know it's paid for. It's gone. I'm all done. And even if it's not gone, I know it's not his plan for me. And I know I ain't going to die from it because death ain't his plan either. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So, let's... uh, I'm going, to close, I'm going to close with this chapter over here. We're going to read Second Peter, a little bit of Second Peter, because I think Peter does such a great job at like just kind of summing up what all everything I've been saying here. So I probably could have just read this, and we all could have gotten home early. But I had fun, so I appreciate you sitting through it all. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of reading. Just close your eyes if that helps you. Open up your heart, put your hands out, whatever, however you receive. We're just going to read right from this mirror Bible. I'm just going to let the Bible talk to your spirit and your heart and just download everything we've been talking about today. Just let it settle right in, the finished work. You guys ready? I'm going to take a drink. It's going to help me. Help me not stutter. All right. Second Peter 2 through 10. God's desire is that we may know, may now, oh, already let's start over. I'll pretend like that never happened. <clears throat> God's desire is that we may now increasingly be overwhelmed with his grace as his divine influence within us and become fully acquainted with the awareness of our oneness. The way he has always known us is realized in Jesus our master. By his divine engineering, He gifted us with all it takes to live life to the full, where our ordinary day-to-day lives mirror our devotion and romance with our maker. His intimate knowledge of us introduces us to ourselves again and elevates us to a position where his original intention is clearly perceived. This is exactly what God always had in mind for us. Every one of his abundant and priceless promises pointed to our restored participation in our godly origin. This is his gift to us. In this fellowship, we have escaped the distorted influence of the corrupt cosmic virus of greed. Now, in the light of what we are gifted with in Christ, the stage is set to display life's excellence. Explore the adventure of faith. Imagine the extreme dedication and focus of a conductor of music, how he would diligently acquaint himself with every individual voice in the choir, as well as the contribution of every specific instrument, 
to follow the precise sound represented in every single note in order to give maximum credit to the original composition. This is exactly what it means to exhibit the divine character. You are the choir director of your own life. Study the full content of faith. Discover in faith how elevated you are. And from this position of your co-seatedness in Christ, new understanding will dawn within you. Here you will realize your inner strength and how fully competent you are to prevail in patient perseverance in the midst of any contradiction. It is from within this place of understanding that worship is born. In worship, you will find a genuine fondness for others. At the heart of everything that faith unfolds is the agape love of God. While you diligently rehearse the exact qualities of every divine attribute within you, the volume will rise with ever-increasing gusto, guarding you from being ineffective and barren in your knowledge of the Christ life displayed in such authority and eloquence in Jesus. If anyone feels that these things are absent from their life, they are not. Spiritual blindness and short-sightedness only veil them from you. This happens when one loses sight of one's innocence. Therefore, I would encourage you, my fellow family, to make every immediate effort to become cemented in the knowledge of your original identity, revealed and confirmed in the logic of God. Fully engage these realities in your life, and so you will never fail. I love that promise. Become cemented in the knowledge of your original identity and you will never fail. Failure is the enemy. Failure is not his plan for you or your life. So, simple country, right? Let's uh, sum it up, Stephen. Let's go home. Here's my main point and encouragement for the day. God's desire for you is to have a full life of abundance and joy, like heaven. Jesus made sure that he paid it all and paved the way for us to have easy access to it. We just have to see ourselves the way Jesus saw himself and live life from the faith, from that faith and belief. Then we will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, living a life full of joy, happiness, love, peace, and everything good. This is our original identity. Life in the garden was his plan and his desire. Let's pray. Jesus, help us believe what you believe about you, ourselves, others, and our circumstances. Amen. Thank you.